0: Welcome to the Invincible Innovation Show, the podcast for changemakers. Each week, I talk to the most fascinating entrepreneurs and innovation leaders about innovation, strategy, and design. Hi, everyone. So today we're going to ask, what's the biggest innovation challenge in medtech? Welcome to Invincible Innovation Live, a show about people, innovation, and tech. I'm Adima Zorkario, innovation and value creation expert, and I'll be your host. And today with me, I have a very special guest, Sina Kain, which is a friend of mine, a corporate innovator and entrepreneur. Hi, Sina.
1: Hello, Adi. Great to be here.
0: I'm so happy to see you here. And, and since we talked so much in the past, I know it's going to be exciting and interesting and insightful. So I'm very happy that we have this talk. And today, uh, you know, we, who, whoever sees us, we're in the middle of the COVID crisis, and um we're going to talk about challenges that are connected to crises and one more thing that we're going to say that we're we co-created um a, a course together about voice strategy and design so maybe next time we're going to talk about that one right
1: absolutely looking forward to that sure. lots to talk about with you yeah
0: yeah one thing that i have to mention about sina that he he has the most perfect uh, english accent that makes mine look not that good which is not good co-creating with a very uh, perfect accent but we're, we're i'm gonna do my best here. so let's start what's the biggest innovation in medtech challenge as you see it
1: you know b- before i go on to that they say t- someone with an accent uh people should be very impressed with them why because it means they're learning another language so whenever oh. you know someone have an accent <laughs> It's actually a it's mm-hmm. actually a, a badge of honor because it means they're actually trying to learn another language and they're learning another language. Oh. So wear it with pride. Um, okay. Challenges in med tech and opportunities in med tech and innovations in med tech. I mean, there's so much to really talk about. Uh, to right. your first question, really, uh, what we're seeing in med tech compared to other industries generally is that the med tech industry is very objective. If we think of fashion, if we think of you know, food and drink, if we think of uh, a whole variety of industries out there that are producing products and services, there's a lot of subjectivity that are tailored to different people in the market. So it could be a color, it could be a style, a design that can appeal to somebody, even though there's not some objective value to the product or service. With medtech, it's very, very different because it either works and improves healthcare or it doesn't. Right. So there could be some subjectivity embedded within that in the design. And if you've got the same kind of product, you can try and add some subjective elements to it to make it more appealing to one user relative to another user. But the percentage, if you like, or the ratio of objectivity, subjectivity on the objective side, is much harder in medtech.
0: Yeah, it's more scientific, you need to really prove exactly. what you're doing. Exactly. Yeah, more one different. more thing, I want to just stop you for a minute. We have uh, people viewing us and we have uh, Anat Avni Papa, which said that my English is great, so it's very important <laughs> to say that. <laughs> Thanks, Anat.
1: I, I think it's even more than great. <laughs> uh, so within that realm of objectivity, it means that as an innovator, you are really on one side more restricted because you can't have the subjective creativity uh, that you could in other industries. But at the same time, you're more focused because, you know, you know, you have these yes or no black and white, not as black and white, but more black and white than other industries answers. So you have a much more focused process towards that. And that's produced a lot of the innovations that we see uh, today in medtech.
0: But we know that in innovation in general, in crisis, most of the companies are going like back to their core services and products. And we see an increase only in industry of medical, health, uh, pharmaceuticals. How do you see that going forward? Will that continue or just it's connected to with the pandemic or how you see that?
1: Yeah, I think when you're in a pandemic, there's no such thing as just doing what your core is because in a pandemic you have to be innovative in the way you're delivering care, you're delivering the products, delivering the service, because the whole paradigm has changed now. So there's always gonna be some innovation within a pandemic, whether you consciously know it or not. But what I would say is uh, usually, as you said, within this kind of pandemic time, people like to go back to their core uh, focus or core products and I like to split, well-known, it's well-known in innovation, split between exploration and exploitation. So exploitation is basically whatever your core product and service is, you exploit it as much as possible, you're very efficient, you improve, et cetera, et cetera, to try and get it as uh, efficient as possible with your current resources and capabilities. Whereas exploration is obviously going beyond your core products, looking at adjacent and transformational products and services. Within a pandemic time, you're right. Exploitation is something that is more focused uh, for a lot of companies, given the situation. However, it's delivering that the, the, the innovation really comes from the delivering um, and, and managing those resources and capabilities in a much more efficient way. Um, that the, that's where the innovation comes into. So I, 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 there is definitely more exploitation, but I think inherent within a pandemic you will have exploratory activities given the fact that you have to deliver and communicate with your customer in a totally new way.
0: Yeah, you're right. You want to say hi to Pawan too? Great to see you, a friend from Google. Um, How do you see corporate innovation in the post-COVID world?
1: So corporate innovation generally, I think, is something that hasn't got as much attention as 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 it needs to. Um, so before we go into COVID, it's something to, to, to realize that it's almost some, it, COVID has almost uh, highlighted the need for corporate innovation strategy, um, for companies. Cause at the end mm-hmm. of the day, people associate corporate innovation with, you know, sticky notes and different colors and some quick design thinking workshops or, um, getting someone with one big idea to take it from ideation to commercialization but they're not looking at corporate innovation as as something that deserves in and of itself, a division, a team. So I think now with the pandemic, people are realizing that we can't just sit on our laurels, sit on in our comfort space and keep churning what we were doing before out and expecting to survive. Um, It's just the evolutionary model that we have as humans that we have to adapt to changing circumstances and the survival of the fittest. And if you don't have that exploratory activity or that exploratory infrastructure, within your company, pandemics like this really come to show you as being in the dark. So COVID, it's, it presents two challenges in the sense of, in my case, it presents challenge on the corporate innovation side, which I like to consult, but also on the medtech side, which med tech side, which I'm more in, uh, involved in. On the corporate innovation side, we're losing physicality. And one of the core elements of innovation Uh, work is mentorship ideation um the kind of incubator environment that you may have within a company if you don't have that physicality because we're all working remote sure uh, that gets impacted
0: yeah Uh, yeah for sure it's harder to do to do these kinds of work like everybody separated in his own office uh, at, at home that's the thing we can
1: manage short term but long term if you want things to really develop in the most inclusive and diversified way being in there feeling the vibe amongst others within the ideation room um it's difficult to replicate that virtually uh as of now on the medtech side it's very challenging because as you know with medtech there's regulatory burdens yeah just so so heavy and yeah you can come up with this is, you can come up with the best idea in medtech, but if it doesn't get the regulatory approval, um, it's it's you know it's 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 basically pointless. It's yeah. just an abstract yeah. concept. So...
0: I know it from from the sides of startups. When I work with startups in Israel, we have many medical startups which are really really great and great ideas, but they don't survive the years needed, you know, to get through all these processes and the regulations they need to have, and that's why we don't have that much innovation in, in, in general, in medical um, in devices and in medical institutes and in medical, because it's so hard. You cannot just try That's something out and then we'll see if it works or not.
1: That's <laughs> exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, especially if you're a startup, so if we go out of the corporate innovation world, so out of the entrepreneurship innovation world and go to the entrepreneurship side, which is having a startup, money, time is money. And the longer something takes to prove its efficacy and the, to get to proof of concept stage, the more money is required. And as a startup, the last thing you want to do is spend more money on time. You just want to get your product yeah. out there in the hands of users and iterate uh, after respondi- after getting user responses. So there's that challenge now because the timeframes for clinical trials, the timeframe for proof of concept um, uh, testing, all of those things have been extended now because of delays. Uh, unless mm. you're working within the medical devices for the COVID space, because a lot of these oh, regulatory bodies yeah. have now put in some you know, uh, fast-paced totally. or quick-course um, uh, systems in place for those who are COVID-specific. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's it's the systems, it's the resources, it's the money, it's the focus on something that everybody thinks is important. And, and it, I think everybody's like aimed to that. But still, I think that when we think about medtech in general, uh, I think people thought about it as something that is like less important, maybe in a sense, like it's more like governmental service. And now they see the importance of it to the world and how we live and to our daily life and the connection between the medical systems and to uh, what we're doing right now, our daily life, which is so important.
1: 100%. I mean, if we yeah. see health healthcare as a whole, uh, for countries' GDP spending, the largest bulk of that GDP spending is almost always on healthcare because as we've got mm. you know increasingly aging populations, um uh, increased diagnostic which means people are understanding that they've got more diseases therefore they need more care that gdp pie more and more of it is being eaten by healthcare and we sometimes think of this you know in the back of our mind we don't realize what a what a a core element of our country's existence um uh, healthcare really is but what's happened in healthcare is at the initial stages of the medtech industry it was very much uh, improvement at any cost as long as the medical device was improving upon the previous version of the medical device you know money would flood in government money would flood in as well invest to just have the improvement but now we're moving away from improvement to value so the improvement has to be relative to the value it provides to saving money in the long term And to improving patient care, which, again, is to save money in the long term. So we've moved from improvement based to really value based, which just makes innovation, I would say, more challenging. But at the same time, it makes it more true and valuable because you're really touching upon a pain point and not just a nice idea.
0: Yeah, I think it's connected to a move that you have in general, like in innovation, that in in the past it was very related to the technology itself, so what the technology is doing. And now we're more talking about value proposition. What is the impact of what you're doing? What is the value in the market? Who will pay for it or use it or how important it is? And when we're thinking about healthcare in general, it's not only to do a specific thing better. Maybe we can prevent some of the things that get to uh, the usage of these um, medical devices or mm-hmm. uh, pharmaceuticals, so so forth. So it really makes exactly. sense to see the impact of what you're saying, and I think it's connected to us seeing more the people and not the technology and not the, what we want to reach. Although most of the medical industry and the pharmaceuticals, for sure, they need to be um, to make money, and, and, and it, it makes sense. But we are trying to do it as best as we can within the context of a healthy life i guess to to the end patients and so forth which is so so important
1: that's exactly um, it and it's and it's really you know it's uh, following on from what you're saying with innovations especially within healthcare the the analysis of every stakeholder involved is becoming so much more important because previously most of the corporate innovation work for healthcare companies was very much focused on this product being uh, doing what we want it to do, and it being, you know, uh, value providing for the patient and for the surgeon. But because the buyer, the hospital buyer, the healthcare provider, has such a more, you know, amplified role these days in the decision-making process, we now have to think: what is the purchaser thinking when they're looking yeah. at this value? Yeah, and of course. We, we're seeing that the products that we're creating. Uh, It doesn't matter if they're efficacious and they're working in the short term. We have to think, how long is that buyer going to be there? Because this buyer is going to leave that uh, healthcare provider in a few years and move somewhere else. And he or she wants to have in their CV that they've saved this amount of money for the hospital that they were working at to kind of make their CV look better. So they're very much more cost focused in, in the space of two or three years. So we as innovators for healthcare companies, have to look at, can we produce a product that can save the hospital money in two or three years, which is the lifespan of a healthcare buyer, so that when they go on to their next job, they can show these benefits. So there's so yeah. many things involved now that's before uh, they really want. Yeah, I, th-
0: I think that in general, there is this very big difference between a user and a client and a buyer, like it's several things that you need to take into consideration, especially in these like kinds of, of products that you need to be aware of. So the, we all think about maybe the patients or the doctor who will use the, the device or who is going to be the end user in that case. But we need to really think about the whole process. How do we market? How do we get to sell it? How do we convince people to take this product and not other product? So it's the same in medical as in any other industry, but it's harder mm-hmm. because, um, it, it's it's so regulated, and and the money is big, and the limitation is big, and all the legal stuff, and it's it's much more complex to do it this way. And um, so, what would be like if I'd asked you what would be the skills and capabilities needed for a change maker? How do you see that one?
1: So, I think when we talk about change makers, digital transformers, innovators, intrapreneurs relative to entrepreneurs the two main um skills that i've tried to work on and i've seen the success of it is the ability to challenge assumptions that's huge because so many times during the innovation process we move on to the next stage because for all intents and purposes of an assumption and we don't really see that as an assumption we just see it as a given we think it's a given so somebody who's able to um really dissect why they've moved from one stage to the other and make sure they reduce as much as possible the assumption premium I would say that's a huge huge and it's difficult to do that because you have to be very self-critical and you have yeah. to be able to be critical with your team as well to, to make sure that yeah. everything that someone is doing or as much as they can you know deduce physically uh, is not based on an assumption so having that humility yeah. of challenging those assumptions I think is 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 critical yeah um and the second thing that i've noticed is that you have to be very um exploratory as carol dweck said you know the the open mindset where you're able to go and explore beyond um what is in front of you so the ability to think in abstract terms uh the, the ability to think beyond the physical i think that's key um yeah. a lot of innovation uh, projects and a uh, corporate innovation initiatives by companies are focused on execution so you go to your boss as an entrepreneur within a company with an idea the first thing your boss says is put together a business case now the business case is an execution document it's not an exploration document right but innovation is not about execution execution is a stage of it but you have to have the exploration so being able to have that exploratory mindset um, and being able to explain yourself to your bosses within that entrepreneurship model of a you know mm-hmm. corporate infrastructure um, is key because as much as they try to push you with an execution, you have to be able to as a change maker explain the benefits of exploration.
0: Yeah, I think it's connected to the way that we need to really lead the the company. So a good leader would understand what are the challenges right now and still have a vision and wh- where you want to get to, what's what's the end that could be their future. And you you have a few hypotheses and you're trying to check them out. And what you said in the beginning that you need to re- really examine yourself again and again and to question yourself again and again in order to be sure is connected to something that I heard from one of Amazon's leaders. I, I talked to uh, in an innovation summit, uh, I think two months ago, and one of the speakers were, was from innovation and uh, Amazon. And he said that they are doing their best in you know, order to devalidate what they're doing within their company as fast as possible and do it again and again, because they rather fail within the company and to really be sure that they're on the right direction before they're investing the whole money. So mm-hmm. questioning yourself is a part of trying to fail but in your conditions with, and not fail within the, within the market, which is much harder. So it's, it's connected to that. Absolutely. Yeah, and
1: it's always a hard balance because so much of creative success is based on intuition and assumption and intuition are very much tethered. Uh, but knowing what is something that isn't grounded in reality, because um, something could be you know, intuitively correct, Uh, as long as it's grounded in reality. So knowing the distinctions between something grounded in reality through experience or something like that, based on your intuition, is very different to just uh, uh, an assumption that can be proved otherwise objectively. So knowing how to do that, um, I think is is, is a real trait of a change maker.
0: That I think in general, when we think about processes of innovation, they need to be iterative and they need to be experimental. So we're trying to take what we know from science in a sense and to make small experiments again and again until we get to the right thing. So being experimental is very related to the fact that we're, we are not sure, we're curious, we don't know, and we're trying to find the right solution uh, through uh, what we're doing. We're walking in a path that we're not sure in the end what, what will be the end result for sure we're trying to aim for a specific domain but we are not sure about where how will we get there and exactly how it will it be so it's like the open-mindedness or and, uh, and,
1: and I, I must say one mm-hmm. of the things that uh, i talk about a lot and i i mention a lot and people get a little bit surprised about it is how you get to that challenging assumption stage one of the things that has helped me the most, believe it or not, is philosophy. Because at the end of the day, philosophy is about challenging all the assumptions we have about the world around us. So right. why we're here, what we're doing, what's the meaning, et cetera, et cetera. So studying philosophy, I think, is actually something I recommend to all people, everybody interested in delving into the world of innovation and uh, change making, because it really yeah. teaches you the, the humility of not knowing all the answers and, and, and knowing to question everything that you're doing um so so philosophy is definitely something i i I would recommend to a change maker
0: yeah i think that's thinking um questioning yourself in general is so important as as a person not only as a leader because sometimes you have a thought or a, a gut feeling that you're really sure about but if you just take a minute and and think about what what are the reasons that you're connected to the thought? Do you have any proof? Did you really test it out? Do you have like research connected to it? Like, how do you get to the answer of a very complex problem? You need to always explore. You You cannot say, yeah, I know. Like uh, I heard someone t- saying about the pandemic that whoever tells you that they know what's going to be with the pandemic and now it's rising, it's another wave, and, and, and so forth, he knows nothing. He knows as nothing. long as, as much as you know more, then you know what you don't know. Yeah, Th- that's what Absolutely. that's. So, Absolutely. could you tell us about a use case from med med tech innovation that really is resonating with you?
1: Yeah. So I would say there's there is. There's like a well-known example within medtech and then there's one within covid that i'd like to give so a well-known example within medtech is obviously the innovation um, of surgical robots so if we think about a lot of the challenges within the operating room for surgeons uh, when they're dealing with the site of a wound or the area of surgery on the body that they will be performing on there are challenges with precision there are challenges with consistency. If we look at, for example, a knee replacement surgeon, uh, he or she will be um, very efficient on a Monday or Tuesday, and you may see that the, you know, the, the infection rates or uh, the inaccuracy rates start increasing as the week goes on. So there's that consistency issue. Uh, there's the accuracy issue. There's fatigue issue. There's precision issue. And as we move towards more and more minimally invasive surgery, where we're trying to not open up the whole body to try and get to a certain organ, we just want to specifically focus on one area. These things get difficult with humans because we don't have the, you know, we we are limited and finite in the things that we can do. So when robotic technology came out, um, you know, in the world for other industries, Healthcare was always going to be, or the operating room specifically, was always going to be an ideal use case for the surgical robotic innovation, because sure. all of those criteria or challenges or pain points that I mentioned, such as accuracy, precision, consistency, um, uh, fatigue, a robot doesn't fatigue, a robot can you know, meet those requirements. So we're seeing more and more um, the drive from med tech companies, especially within the operating room, to look at robotics, to kind of... Uh, not necessarily replace the surgeon but augment the performance of the surgeon which is why most surgical robots right now are not standalone automated entities they are tools in which a surgeon behind the behind the screen or behind the controller is able to control uh, but any errors or tremors that are within the surgeon hand etc are removed from the surgeon via the robot so that's something that i've seen becoming more and more popular It's a project I've been working on with a company that I'm working with full time, just due to medical. Um, but within metec as a whole, we're seeing more and more, actually your, your middle name, mm-hmm. Mazor, one of the yeah. leading uh, robotic yeah. companies that just got acquired yeah. uh, a couple of years ago. It's uh, it's healthy neighbor.
0: Yeah. Mazor, healthy neighbor. Yeah, you're yeah. right. I think that in general, in all my project that I have done, I always really loved to do the medical uh, projects because I really love to go into I went in a few times to a surgical room and see everything like going there and you feel like you're doing something so important which is like this is the best uh, feeling ever that you feel that you are taking your talents to something which is so important and, and in general I think that robots most people think that like uh, in a few years they will replace us everywhere and um, I've seen um, someone from um, Boston Dynamics he, in one of the conferences that I have. I had lots of conferences in the past. Now I, I don't see them that much. <laughs> and and he, d- do you know the videos showing that the robot is fighting, you know, and he's doing Absolutely. flip-flops? And so he ta- he ta- talked about that one because he was one of the creators of that specific uh, model. And he said that the team are the one, uh, the team that created these robots are the one that uh, laugh uh, t- uh, the most to the um, thinking that robots will control us because they know how much work was invested in order to create this specific move and in, in order for that work, which is only a specific a scheme of, of, of moving. And, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the, we're, we're afraid of it, but my, mainly most robots are helping and there are tools for humans and they are not like standalone. they're not doing the surgery, they're not just the, instead of the surgeon and the surgeon goes and, and drinks coffee on the side, it's, it's like n- exactly. not most people this is what they think. Yes, and it's uh,
1: enhancing, and- not replacing.
0: Right, right. In general, I think that most people are a bit afraid of maybe AI and robotics because it's, it's frightening. But in most cases, as we know it, AI is helping doctors and helping professionals and it's not replacing. And in, in some cases, it really is. You know, like there are several cases that AI is replacing people, but it's very specific. It's not um, as people think that it's so pervasive. And, and danger and the second the second example you said is connected to the covid
1: yes so um we've obviously seen this drive from uh uh med tech companies within the COVID era to see what Mm -hmm. can they do you know both on a corporate side as well as you know innovators within a startup world coming up with solutions to a lot of the challenges in covid so we've, there's one example uh, which is close to my heart because of my, you know, an our love for voice and chatbots. Yeah. Uh, Clear Clearstep, which is a, a chatbot company, which has uh, created this chatbot interaction for users who have COVID nineteen symptoms. Um, so it sounds like just a normal symptom checker, but it's able to ask the questions which not only determine your health condition, but to see based on the uh, local uh, symptoms in your area, whether this is what percentage of it is likely to be COVID, what it's not to be, uh, what percentage is it not to be. So it's we've got there almost, I would say, the kind of innovation where it's taking different existing pieces and putting them together for a solution. Because, you know, yeah. people think that innovation is just coming up with something completely brand new that has never been heard of. But Ferrari wasn't that. Ferrari was taking mm-hmm. existing entities and putting them together, that the unique. You know, in Hebrew, we say chidush, the unique innovation wasn't the actual um, things that they created. It was how they put them together. And I think the step mm-hmm. example uh, is a great one because they took chatbot technology that already existed, symptom checking that already existed, uh, getting information from your locality already in existence and putting it together uh, to provide some sort of peace of mind for uh, patients or, you know, humans who are concerned about yeah. having COVID.
0: Right. I think that in general we know that voice is growing because people are close at home and they're using it more and the fact that people don't want to touch some of the surfaces is easier to use your voice. I thought you'll give an example of how can we check the breathing of a person while he speaks and it could tell you if he's breathing right and he has any kind of breathing symptoms. So this is what yeah. the example that comes to my mind. So could you tell us what's the most surprising thing you learned about innovation after years of experience?
1: The most surprising thing is how so many um, companies think of innovation as that one big idea. They don't see it as a series of ideas that you're exploring to then determine which one sticks on the wall. Um, And there's this corporate innovator who I'm a a big fan of, Tendai Vicky. And he says, you know, this this conception of that one big idea is very much as a result of the educational system that we were raised upon. Because if you remember the, the exams that we used to do, uh, you know, you had four or five questions and you've got to pick one. So it wasn't yeah. like you could do all of them and then the best one would be the one that it would get rated yeah. or marked. Yeah. You had to make a decision. Yeah. This is my one big essay.
0: Yeah, and that's history. the right. That's the only right answer. We call it American test. I don't know how you call it, but it's like only one. one, And they try to make it like very close to one another. And then you you make this. Yeah, I remember.
1: So that's the multiple choice questions. But this Mm -hmm. is also about essays. Like there could be four different topics that you can write on and they can all be right. But, you know, the the, the pressure is on just picking that one. You cannot, uh, you know, kind of do a variety. So his theory is that that mentality of that one big essay, that one big idea has really impacted innovation for us where you know everyone thinks of how can I just get that one entrepreneurial or intrapreneurial idea and then be a success. But so my biggest surprise was how many companies actually embedded with that mindset of let's just put all our resources towards this one transformational idea when we're doing innovative work. So beyond the exploitation work, our exploration work will be very much you know, focused on just one big idea. So slowly, slowly through a lot of the, the, the experiences that I had, I realized that the model that was working was surprisingly the model, which is, you know, you've got an innovation budget, but instead of releasing the funds towards one project, it's releasing the funds towards a series of projects and at different stages, you release more and more. So what happens is as each project is moving on to the next stage, the risk is reducing therefore the 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 release of funds is you know uh, occurring at a stepped rate according to the de-risking of that given project right. so that was really surprising for me because for me i just yeah. thought like everyone else did one big idea give me the money let me go ahead and do it but that yeah. stepped process uh, was something that it, it addressed that uh, uh, that issue
0: yeah, I think that bigger companies are building what they call a portfolio. They seem they see themselves as a VC that they want to invest in different initi- initiatives and in different projects, and they are doing several of them. But it's I think that the fact that people are thinking only one sided. I'm I wrote a book. I'm I'm finished already. It's called the Harness the way, the Wind of Change, and, and I talk about growth mindset there, and the way you think and the way you perceive what you're doing and how how, we, how good are you doing it and how exactly exactly is needed. And the the strictness of your mind is very much attached to your success as a leader, as, a, as an innovator leader, which is uh, just to think about things as not like one-sided, like black and white. You could say, okay, like maybe this one I was not exactly sure, and and maybe we even failed in this specific project, but how can we learn better in the next time? Or you could say, yeah, we failed. We don't know how to innovate. Maybe we just need to buy a startup and that's it. That like, How do you perceive the way of what you're doing as a, a continuing learning process and not as like, this is what needs to be done. And if I get there, great. If not, it's Uh, I don't know how to do it it's like it's not my stuff yeah which is why
1: I say a corporate innovation strategy or a corporate innovation department should be like Benjamin Button the movie which is the more it lives the younger it gets in the sense that the more it goes on and uh, attempts to delve into these innovation projects the more it's learning and the more it's improving as a entity beyond every project so it's getting younger it's getting more innovative it's it's learning more it's gleaning more observational data and therefore your innovation department will consistently get better and better and better so we need to think of it we think of products as the more we use them the the, the more ragged and worn out they become but we need to think of a corporate innovation team or a corporate innovation initiative uh, as a product that the more it goes through things the younger it gets the more beautiful it gets the more you know, uh, yeah. uh, innovative and and outward looking, uh, it becomes.
0: Yeah, I love this metaphor. I think that in general, to think about innovation as something that you grow into and something that you learn how to do. And once you're getting better and better, you know how to do it in faster. And, and, and even in cases like a very big change, like a crisis, like what we have right now, it's still working and you don't freeze in your and go back to your core. You know that it's going to work and you know how to do the processes in order to create something. And, and we all know, know that currently lots of companies need to create something new because the market has changed and their clients has changed and, and, and the buyers have changed and they need to think differently and to give different solutions and answers to that. So if, if they are not innovating, they are at risk, um, especially in specific industries uh, that we know that got hurt really bad during this, this crisis, Right.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. That's why the customer journeys have changed in this COVID era. The customer journey has changed. So the responsibility, really, the onus on companies is to look at this changing customer journey um, and seeing how can you be innovative in each of those stages, pre-purchase, purchase, purchase, -purchase, post-purchase, and the interfaces that existed between the company and the customer have changed. So innovation is part and parcel of this new changing customer journey and making sure that you as a company are ready for those changes uh, in the most efficient way, which is why I'm glad you've done the course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: we have. So uh, we're almost done. So how could people hear more from you and, and contact you and ask you questions maybe?
1: Yeah, so uh, I, I've got my website, sinakahen.com, uh, yeah. dot ncom so you can reach out to me on there. Um, and then, of course, on LinkedIn, happy to connect with people from all different types of industries uh, to share thoughts and ideas. Um, so, yeah, yeah sure. feel free to reach out.
0: Sure, I, I, I recommend everyone to to ask questions, Cina, because it's always a pleasure talking to you, Sina. Thank, Thank you, you for coming, and it's it's been so much fun as always. We should do another one about voice. We'll do that in a few like weeks or months. With once.
1: pleasure, with pleasure.
0: Sure. And I'd like to thank you for viewing and listening to this episode. And if you like it, you're welcome to try it and and to hear more from Invincible Innovation or visit our website, www.invincibleinnovation.com. See you. Bye-bye. I'm Adima Zorokario, and you've been listening to the Invincible Innovation Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, invincibleinnovation.com where you can learn more about our programs and my book, Innovating Through Chaos. I'll be waiting for you next week in our next episode. Thank you for listening.